Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. Today I want to be sharing on the abundance of grace. Uh, this is a powerful uh, subject. I actually did a series on this. So if you really like the message today, there's a series out there called The Abundance of Grace where I preach this in four parts. But today I'm going to do it in one, hopefully one session here. I won't, I won't take up the whole day. I could preach on grace all day, all week, but I'm going to do it in one session. You know, I'm, so I'm giving you the, the, the Spark Notes version. I see there's some high school students here today. You know, when I was in high school, the teacher said, you know, don't use Spark Notes because you won't pass the test. The Spark Notes, it's like the, the shortened version. Rather than reading all of, you know, Charles Dickens, you know, Oliver Twist, you know, all 500 pages, you can read like the 50-page version. So she's like, how did you survive school? Because I went to school for a long time. I have a doctorate in music, and I said, Spark Notes. So the teacher said, you won't survive doing Spark Notes, but you do. So I'm going to give you the Spark Notes version of this series, The Abundance of Grace. It's going to be good. You'll pass the grace test after this message. You'll know you have a full revelation of grace today after um, just my one Spark Notes version of this message. So I got this title, The Abundance of Grace, from Romans 5.17. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans 5.17. And here Paul writes, For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive, say this, abundance of grace. grace. And also say this, and of the gift of righteousness, say gift of righteousness, righteousness. will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Jesus wants you to reign in life. In the Greek, that means to reign as royals, to, to reign as a king, as a queen. He came to give us abundant life. Jesus said this in John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And as I've studied out grace in depth, whenever grace is manifested in the life of Jesus, Jesus put the face to God's grace. Whenever Jesus demonstrated grace, it was, never, it was never in short supply. It was never in half measure. It was always full, complete, abundant, running over. That's why Paul says this is the abundance of grace. If you are going to reign in life, you need the abundance of grace that can only come from Jesus and also the gift. I love that word, the gift of righteousness. God's kind of righteousness, it is so, so huge, so immeasurable, so incalculable that the only way it can be received is as a gift. You know, I, I've, received, I've received a lot of great gifts in life. You know, there, there's a scripture that says houses and riches can come from a father, but a prudent wife comes from the Lord. And, and when I was believing for a wife, God gave me that scripture and I wrote it out and posted it on my bathroom wall. When I was just, you know, just a bachelor, single, Pastor Aaron, you know, going through, through a dry wilderness of relationships, I, I put that, because, you know, I, my dad gave me a job, I bought myself a house, you know, you can receive these things from a father, but certain things can only come from God. And a prudent wife is one of those things. So I put that on my, on my wall and um, my bathroom mirror, and um, maybe a year later, I, I met Heather. Heather Purdue, I think she's around here taking pictures and taking care of the children. And, um, but Heather, um, once we got engaged, she, she saw that on my bathroom wall, and she, she signed her initials next to the prudent wife. <laughs> so she identified herself as the prudent wife. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking about just, just things that you can receive as a gift. I, some things are so huge. You know, this gift of right, it is so huge, it's, it's almost hard to comprehend. So just to put it into perspective, I, I was thinking about... Um, 
It'd be like if my dad gave me a house. And if he were to give me a house, he said, Aaron, I'm going to give you a house. I'd ask for, like, and it could be any house. You know, no questions asked. I'd, I'd probably go for the biggest house possible. So I looked up the, the, the most valuable house for sale on Zillow in the state of Colorado. And um, I, I kind of guessed where it was going to be because, you know, just a few weeks ago, Heather and I were in Aspen, Colorado. We spent a night there, and we, we were walking along the river there. And, and across the river, there were some really nice mansions. There's this one, like, really just beautiful, just tons of trees, huge modern mansion. And Heather asked me, how much do you think that is? And, and I, I guessed $40 million. She guessed 10, but I pulled it up on Zillow, and it said $43 million, So I was pretty close. But I, I was kind of sure the most expensive house on the market today in Colorado would would be in Aspen, and I was right. There's a, there's a home for sale in Aspen right now. It's one of five homes on Aspen Mountain. It's only five homes that are on Aspen Mountain. This, this home is for sale. It is for sale at the price tag of $100 million. So my dad said, hey, I'll, I'll give you this gift, Aaron, this beautiful gift that, that's just, that you probably can't afford or deserve, but I'm gonna give it to you. I said, well, thanks, Dad, I'll take it. And, um, and um, some people kind of receive salvation like this. They receive grace initially like this. They, they say, thank you, God, for this grace. But from now on, I'm just going to kind of live life on my own. It's about me, what I do, my, my talent, my striving. That, that's really foolish. Grace, it, it's, for, it's for all eternity for you. You know, if, if I were to, to cut off my dad's help when I received that house, I looked at the, the monthly expend, expenditures on that house, the, the tax on that house, in Aspen, Colorado, is $35,000 a month. The estimated insurance on it is $36,000 a month. So, so just for, for taxes, it's $70,000 a month just for tax and insurance. So if I told my dad, hey, I don't want your help anymore, it's not about you, it's not about your gift, it's about me, I would, I would be instantly bankrupt. Inst I, I can assure you I don't make that much as the pastor executive pastor here at Karis Christian Center. I, I cannot afford $70,000 a month in property tax. You know, God, God's gift of righteousness, there's no way you can earn it, past, present, and future. It is so beautiful, so, so immeasurable. The only thing you can do is to receive it through faith in Jesus Christ. And grace, it's the same way. It is completely abundant, and it can only be received as a gift through Jesus Christ. So as, as I've thought about grace, God actually spoke to me several years ago about grace. There are three important aspects of grace that every believer needs to understand. And the first one is this, that grace frees you. A lot of people understand, a lot of believers understand this aspect, but they kind of stop there. They know, yeah, grace frees you. The Bible says it this way in Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12. It says, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And you think just as, as high, as big as the universe is, that's how big his grace, and the universe keeps expanding. That, that's, that's because there is no limit to God's grace. The east keeps getting further from the west. The heavens keep getting higher from the earth. God's grace keeps on expanding. There is no, no limit to it. It cannot be calculated. So grace, first of all, frees you. A lot of people stop there, and I know they stop there because, because um, I, I've been to different prayer meetings, you know, interdenominational prayer meetings when I'm in college, and a lot of people pray that they don't really understand this next part of grace, and it's that grace transforms you. 
If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away and all things have become new. When people pray that I'm just a sinner, I'm just a worm, I don't deserve this, they, they, they don't really understand who, who God has transformed them into. He wants you to be in Christ. They, they, they don't really have a revelation of who they are in Christ. And, and I discovered the reason why they, they, they don't want to identify that, why they don't really want to, to go where grace transforms them. It's because they don't understand that grace also empowers you. Grace empowers you to be the righteousness of God. Grace empowers you to be a son or daughter of the king. Grace empowers you to be a high priest. Grace empowers you to have his joy, to have his peace, to have, to have his access into God's throne room. It's, it's, the, it's because they, they, they want to have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. So grace frees you, grace transforms you, and grace empowers you. And, and one of the greatest things that God has done for us to empower us is to make the baptism of the Holy Spirit available to every believer, to everyone who has experienced his grace, who has been transformed, who is being transformed, who will continue being transformed by his grace. Jesus said it this way in Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So it's really important for us as believers to understand all three sides of grace. Grace frees you, grace transforms you, and grace empowers you. And to, to just give you a picture of these three sides of grace, it's kind of like taking a report card, taking your report card, taking Pastor Aaron Perdue's report card of his entire life. Aaron, pa Aaron Perdue's, you know, just... Who he is as a person. Is Aaron Purdue a good person or not? You know, if you were just to go ask the average person on the street today, what makes someone good, which is just a very simplified definition of righteousness. Really, righteousness means to be good in the eyes of God, to be right standing in the eyes of God. But if you were just to ask the average person, what makes someone a good person? You know, how, how will someone get to heaven? I actually read a statistic that 50% of, of quote-unquote evangelical Christians believe that, that there are more ways to get to heaven than just Jesus. So 50% of Christians who say they believe in the Bible believe that Jesus is the only way, say, well, there's other ways besides Jesus. There's other ways to be truly good. Maybe it's to be, to be kind, to, be, to give to the poor, to volunteer, to help old ladies across the street, to do to inject in your body whatever the government tells you to inject. That's how you're getting, if, if you don't do that, then you're a bad person, you should lose your job. That's, that's the world that we live in, but there, there is only one way to be truly good, to be truly righteous, and that is to receive it as a gift through Jesus Christ. So if you were to take my report card, anyone's report card apart from Jesus, you know, Pastor Aaron, goodness, righteousness, maybe I would get a 60%. Maybe some of you would get a 99%. Maybe some of you would get a 10%. According to what the average person out there would, would qualify, they, they might give you that score. Maybe, maybe, maybe joy, you, you, you just, you're like 50% level. Maybe healing, you're at 50% level. Maybe, maybe provision, prosperity, fulfillment in life, living to your full potential, 50%, 40%, 30%, 90%. When, when, you come, when you come to God, he takes that old report card and he sticks it in the shredder. 
and shreds it into a million pieces. And what the enemy does, he tries to go and get all his pieces and say, hey, you know, you're actually not 100%. You know, look at this. You, you missed a mark here. This is who you are. You're not completely, you're, 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 you've, you're, you're at 30%, you filthy worm. What God does, as far as, he, he actually shreds it and, and lights it on fire. It's completely gone. So a lot of people understand that, that their past has been wiped away. Their sins have been wiped away. You know, uh, how precious is that blood that has made me white as snow, which is awesome. But God doesn't just leave you with a, a blank report card, a blank slate. You know, there, there's this uh, philosophy that, that, that kind of started during the Enlightenment and a lot of our, our early American forefathers um, kind of like this, the, the blank slate, tabula rasa, the blank slate that... that that everyone is created equal, that everyone has full potential, there's a blank slate. God doesn't just give you a blank slate. He actually does something else. After he wipes away your sin, he then goes to the back of of the classroom and digs through the file cabinet, digs through all the report cards of every single person who has lived on the face of the earth, and he, he goes through the A's, the B's. Oh, here's the C's. C H R I S T comma, J-E-S-U-S. Look at this guy's report card. Righteousness, 100%. Joy, 100%. Peace, 100%. Provision, 100%. And what he does, he brings it out. And he puts a dash next to his name, and then he writes your name. His righteousness is now your righteousness. His peace is your peace. His prosperity is your... He became poor so that you might be rich. His, his joy is now your joy. He transforms you. But not only that, he also empowers you. It's not about you. It's not about what you can do, about your strength, about your charm, about your personality, about your talents, about your own goodness. It's all about the grace of Jesus, the abundant grace of Jesus. He empowers you to, to live it out, to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about how grace frees you. Like we said in Psalm 103, verse 11 and 12, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Great When God's grace frees people, it frees them abundantly, so much so that, that it, it'll, it'll offend people who are looking at goodness in other ways. Amen. When Jesus demonstrated this freeing side of grace, it, it would offend people, especially legalistic people. The law will not free you. The law will not make you righteous. The law will not give you joy. The law will not give you peace. The law will not give you righteousness. The law will not make you a good person. The law or, or any system of works or any, any system of beliefs or any, any man, that will not make you right before God. That will not get you into heaven. Only Jesus can get you into heaven because that, that grace that he gives is so abundant. That righteousness that he gives, it is so valuable. There is, no, there is no way that man can be saved except through Jesus. And it is so radical, so profound that if anyone thinks that they have anything to do with it apart from Jesus, they get very offended by it. What a lot of people try to do to make themselves feel more righteous, to make themselves feel more good, is to compare themselves to other people. Well, look at this guy. He won't even get the jibby-jab. Look at this, look at this woman. She was caught in the very act of adultery. 
They, they didn't care about that woman. They didn't care about Jesus. They didn't care about the gift of God. They cared about how they looked, how they felt themselves. So let's look at John 8 here. John 8, we're going to talk about the woman caught in the act of adultery. So go ahead and turn to John 8. And we'll start here in verse 1. This is a beautiful picture of the abundance of grace freeing somebody. John 8 verse 1 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in, in the act of adultery. When they, said, they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. They didn't care about this woman. They didn't care about Jesus. They were upset that Jesus had a big crowd there at the temple, that he was getting more attention than them, that he was, he was, he was demonstrating a, a different way of righteousness than, than they thought. They thought righteousness had to come through the law. The law was not given to make people righteous. The law was given to point people to the giver of righteousness. But they were using that law to beat down other people, to try to make themselves look more righteous. That, that's what a lot of people do even today. There are all types of self-righteous people out there. Man, the, the, the woke religion out there today, one of the most self-righteous religions out there on the planet today, it, it is, it is mind-blowing. Scribes and Pharisees brought a woman caught in act of adultery and said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. So they're just, they didn't care about Jesus. They didn't care about this woman. They, they, they cared about themselves. That's what this scenario is about. It, it is about themselves. They, Jesus was, was preaching at the temple, had a huge crowd, and someone just made a giant scene right in front of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, the Messiah, Christ in the flesh. And um, whenever I've read this story, I've read, I've read, I love the book of John. I love that my dad preached through John chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I love, I've probably read John more than any book in the Bible. I've probably read it 30 or 40 times straight through, maybe even more at this point. And, and for a long time, whenever I'd come to this instance here in John 8, I would ask myself this question. I'd ask myself, you know, did Jesus break the law here? Because the, the, these scribes, these Pharisees, they were right. Because in the law, it does say if someone is caught in the act of adultery, they are to be stoned. And not just the woman, the man also. So I don't know why they didn't bring the man there, because they, really, they didn't really care about the law either. They cared about themselves. So I'd ask myself, and, and I'm glad that Jesus didn't stone this woman, but I, I would kind of think, did Jesus break the law. And, and um, God actually led me to study out the law further. And in the law, it, it, I believe that the law prophetically points to Jesus, prophetically points to this instance here in John 8. And Jesus is right. He said, I did not come to destroy the law or the prophets. This is in Matthew 5, 17. But I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus fulfilled the law in this instance, and I'll show you why and how. So Jesus, as he heard them say, what do you say? It said that he stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. 
So I studied out in the law what, what the law actually says. And God took me to Deuteronomy 17. So keep a finger right here in John 8 and also flip to Deuteronomy 17. So Deuteronomy, it, it is the, the complete you know, utterance of the law. Deuteronomy in, in um, Latin means a second utterance. So the law was first given in Leviticus to the Le- Levitical priesthood. But then before, this is, Deuteronomy is Moses' final sermon to the, to, to the children of Israel before he passes away, right before they go into the promised land. So he kind of summarizes the law, but he adds some important amendments to the law. So right here in the middle of the law, Deuteronomy is 35 chapters. So this is the middle chapter, chapter 17. Deuteronomy 17 has 20 verses. Right here in the middle verse, verse 10, it gives us our answer. Did Jesus break the law or did he fulfill the law? So Deuteronomy 17 will start in verse 6. I believe that when Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground, I believe that he started writing the law right here in Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. He started writing right from the very middle of the law. Jesus knew the law better than the scribes and Pharisees did. Why? Because the same finger that wrote on the the stone tablets to Moses was the same finger writing in that dirt. And this this is my, what I believe Jesus wrote. I don't know if it's true, but someday when I go to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus, hey, is this true? I put my money on this interpretation of this. <laughs> now, I hope I don't go bankrupt here. I put, put a lot on this. But thankfully, I'll be very wealthy in heaven and have a great mansion worth more than $100 million in Aspen, Colorado. And I won't have to pay tax there. There's no taxes in heaven. Hallelujah. <laughs> so I believe he started writing here. Deuteronomy 17, verse 6, right in the center of the entire law, center chapter, center center verses, he stooped down and started writing. He says, whoever is deserving of death shall be put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. As these guys are there holding these stones, they probably are counting. Oh, yeah. We got like a whole dozen of us here. Like, we got four times three. They're probably getting excited. They're probably shaking those stones. He shall not be put to death on the testimony of one witness. The hands of the witnesses shall be the first against him to put to death. They're probably getting excited. Yes, I get to throw the stone first. And afterwards, all the hands of the people. So they're probably getting excited because that entire, all these followers are now going to have to stone this woman as well. He's writing it with his own finger in the ground. All the people here are going to have to stone this woman. They're probably getting really excited. It says, so shall you put away the evil from among you. He keeps writing, if a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge between degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, then you shall arise and go up to the place which the Lord your God chooses. They probably start having like that face with the thinking, you know, the hand thinking, like, where is he going with this? We've taken him to inside the gates, right inside the, the innermost part of the city, right inside the very temple. It says, you shall come to the priest, the Levites, and to the judge there in those days. They're like, oh man. Here's this guy who, who is, people think he's the Messiah. He's, he's, he's the, the Levite of Levites, the priest of priests, the judge of all judges. It says, there they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. I believe he stopped right there. It said he stopped writing and he stood up. This is John 8. You can flip back to John 8, verse 7. It said they continued asking him. He raised himself up. They probably kept pressing him. They they probably saw what he was writing. 
The, the law says this, the law says this, the law says this, stoner, stoner, stoner. You're even writing it. But it says in the law that you take them to that judge and they will make their pronouncement. So he makes his pronouncement right here in red. He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And he stoops down again and writes. I believe he kept writing here right in law, right in the center verse of the center chapter of the entire law. Verse 10, you shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place, which the Lord chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you. He who is without sin can throw the first stone. He, I believe he continued writing a few more verses. According to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. There is no variation in what I pronounced. Verse 12, now the man who acts presumptuously and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the Lord your God or the judge, that man shall die. So you shall put away evil from Israel. If any one of those people would take a stone and throw it at her, they would be put to death for breaking the centermost law. The greatest amendment in the law given by Moses. Jesus did not break the law, but he fulfilled it. If Jesus declares you righteous, if the high priest who, gave his, who offered his own body on the cross for you, there is no priest like him. He is the priest of all priests. He is the judge of all judges. If he says you are righteous in me, if anyone tries to fight against that, if the enemy tries to fight against that and say, no, that is not, you are not a saint, you're still a sinner. No, you're not blessed, you're cursed. No, you're not prosperous, you're poor. No, you're not healthy, you're sick. No, you can't have peace. You have to have this turmoil. That is a lie. There is only one judgment that matters, and that is the judgment of Jesus Christ. And when he offered his blood on that cross and said, it is finished, it was finished. It was done. Grace frees you. And when grace frees you, it is completely abundant. And I love what he said to this woman. It says, those who heard it, verse 9, were convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning from the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. And, and when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman... He said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Jesus was the only one who had the right to condemn her. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And Jesus continued with his sermon. He spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He demonstrated grace. He said, my grace is freeing, but my grace is also going to transform you. Just like light, just like darkness into light. I am the light of the word. I am the grace of God. I bring freedom. I also bring transformation. Grace transforms you. That woman was transformed from, from a sinner into a saint. 
Grace, the, the Bible is full of incredible testimonies of transformation. As I look across this room today, look at every single face here in this room today. Every single one of you have a testimony of God transforming some aspect of your life. God has transformed you. I guarantee he is transforming things in your life right now, and he will continue in the future to keep transforming your life with the abundance of his grace. The Bible is full of incredible testimonies of transformation. Paralytics being transformed into dancers. Mute being transformed into worship leaders. Prostitutes being transformed into evangelists. Fishermen being transformed into pastors. Slaves into governors. Cowards into warriors. Shepherds into kings. And even terrorists into apostles. The Apostle Paul got a revelation of this. He was a, he, man, talk about someone who was self-righteous. He said, according to the law, according to keeping righteousness on my own, I scored a 99.9%. But the righteousness of the law cannot save you. It is nothing compared to the gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. So maybe some of you here today haven't, haven't heard the grace message preached before. You think, well... Sure, someone can get into heaven just by being a good person, by, by giving, by volunteering, by getting jibby jabs, by voting a certain way, by going along with the flow, going along with the masses through that wide gate. Even if you think you scored a 99.9%, it is not good enough. The only way to get into heaven is with 100% righteousness. It's like, it's like purified drinking water. If I were to tell you, hey, this, this to some of you who, who think are just partial grace people, you know, you might be a 99% grace person. Say, so, hey, would you like to have some water today? It's 99% pure water. But 1% of it I got out of Ada's diaper this morning. <laughs> And Ada, Ada had, Ada likes to watch the movie Frozen. And in the, in the, in the movie Frozen, there's this, um, you know, Elsa, the, the, the queen in Frozen. I, I've watched it like a million times now because it's Ada's only movie she likes to watch. But, you know, the, 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 the queen turns everything into ice and, and um, you know, there's this, uh, you know, winter, you know, store out in the woods and, 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 and the queen's sister is there and she, she wants some boots and, but they're just trying to, because everything's cold, it's like everything's summer-related. The guy says, big summer blowout. So when Ada has certain diaper things, when I say big summer blowout, <laughs> so if I took some of the big summer blowout and put it in here, even 1%, would you want to drink it? No, because the only true righteousness is 100% righteousness. It's so valuable, so pure, so everlasting that it can only come through Jesus Christ. So whatever righteousness you can get apart, no matter how, how, how pure you think you can be, it's as filthy rags, as Paul would say. It's, you better not even put it in your mouth. You're going to spew it out. It is disgusting. Don't even think about it. Just go with God's grace. And Paul, Paul got a revelation of this. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Second Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone, say if anyone, 
If anyone is, say this, in Christ, Christ. he is a new creation. Say "New new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things, say all things, have become new. That's a radical statement. He goes on here. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Who, who has been made a minister of this message of reconciliation? Who here is in Christ? Who here is a new creation? If you are in Christ, a new creation, then you are a minister of reconciliation. I'm not the only minister here today. There are a lot of ministers here in this place today. You are a minister. So if you are a minister of reconciliation, you should understand what you are a minister of. I want to talk about this word reconciliation, especially if you are a minister of it. Is that okay? I'm going to explain to you what you are a minister of. This Greek word for reconciliation, it is, it's, a, it's a very important word. It is the Greek word katalage. So I wrote this out. It's K-A-T-A, kata, and then lage, L-L-A-G-E. It's, it's a word that talks about the exchanging of money. It's talking about an exchange. I, I shared this a while back when I was taking up an offering, talking about how when Heather and I got married, we went on our honeymoon to, to Italy. When we landed at the airport in Rome, I had a thousand U.S. dollars that I had from our, our, our wedding. This church has a lot of generous people. I had a lot of cash. I took, took it like a thousand with me. And when we landed at the airport, right in the airport, I decided to, to change, to go to the Catalage of the Rome airport and, and change my U.S. dollars into euros. And a couple of days later, I looked up the exchange rate, and I realized I'd gotten ripped off like two or $300. I was pretty upset because I got ripped off on that exchange. So now I know there are certain exchanges I don't want to go to. But, but when you go to God with the, with, with, for this great exchange, you're always going to win. No matter how good you, you think your life is, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how much purpose you have, no matter how much joy you think you have, when, when you go to God, no matter what you think, how good your life is, the life that he has for you is so much better. What he has, you're always going to come out immensely better on that exchange. That's why I can go to any living, breathing human being on this earth and preach this message of reconciliation because it is much better Jesus is much better than Muhammad. Jesus is much better than Hinduism. Jesus is much better than Buddhism. Jesus is much better than, than, than politics. Jesus is much better than just seeking pleasure. Jesus is much better than just your own intellect. Jesus is so, life is so much better with him. It's so much richer, so much more abundant. You will reign in life with him. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19 says, that is that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself. That word to reconcile, it means to also to restore to divine favor. Preachers should preach about divine favor. I have favor with God. I have favor with man. I have a good understanding and I have supernatural increase. I think I've heard a preacher say that before. Reconciling the world to himself, not imputing that. That's another calculating term there, logismeo. Some of, some of I see some high schoolers here. You've probably taken calculus. You learned about logarithms. There's the same root here. It's a, it's a calculating term. Logismeo, imputing. God is not imputing. He's not 
digging up an old report card and counting sin and wrongdoings against you. Not imputing trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, I love this as as. As a minister, he also goes on and says that we are now ambassadors for Christ. This, this, is a, this is a heavy word right here, ambassadors for Christ. If you are an ambassador, you carry yourself a certain way. If you're sent somewhere to be an ambassador for, for, for your home country, for your home kingdom, you are not of that new kingdom that you're placed in. I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. I am of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light. But I have been sent here as an ambassador, sent here with the purpose to represent heaven here on the, as it is in heaven, so let it be here on this earth. That is why I am here, to represent heaven. I, I also carry, ambassadors carry authority. They can, they can make contracts, they can sign treaties, they can even declare war. You have authority as an ambassador. Some believers don't understand just the, the weight of this authority that we have as ambassadors. You know, a, a few weeks ago, I, I saw um, in the news, there, there's a, uh, I'm a I'm, I have a doctor of music, I, I'm, a, I'm a big time flute nerd, and uh, on Facebook, I'm, I'm members of, of these different flute groups, and I'm, I'm a member of, of, these, uh, of this flute group about like historical flutes, old flutes. I have two flutes that were made in the 1800s. I, I play them here at church a lot. I play on a flute that was made in 1883. It's a Louis Lot flute. It, it's, every modern flute is based off of this design. It was a French flute maker, 1883. So about as long as Colorado has been a state, that's as long as flute has been being played. And now it's being played for the glory of God, which I think is really cool. I love, I love history. And anyways, and one of these um, historical flute things, I, I, they, they started sharing this um, bit of news that had happened about a month or so ago. But there's a famous um, pop artist by the name of Lizzo. I didn't know who Lizzo was until I saw this, um, you know, all these flute nerds getting upset about Lizzo. Because Lizzo... Um, was playing a, a concert in Washington, D.C., and the Library of Congress invited her to, to come and um, view their, their, their collection of, of historical flutes. The Library of Congress has, has the, the biggest collection of old flutes in the world. That's, that's like a priceless collection. And, and all these flute nerds were very upset because they're like professors of historical flute, and they're like, I, I've been trying to get into there for years, and they haven't allowed me to, and here's Lizzo. This, this pop artist who doesn't even have a doctorate in music got to go play on these flutes that are worth, you know, priceless. And um, she got to play on one flute in particular that's kind of interesting. It was, it, was, it was a flute that was personally owned by President James Madison. So James Madison, um, before he was a president, he was actually an ambassador for America. He actually was sent by Thomas Jefferson to France, to France to, to, to negotiate a treaty to make a deal. He was sent, and he was given the authority to, to have $10 million by Thomas Jefferson to, to buy the port at New Orleans. Thomas Jefferson really wanted the U.S. to be able to have access to, to the Mississippi River there, to be able to use the river, to have that port, and hey, just try to buy New Orleans, but if, if you can't, just, just at least get us rights to use that port there. So James Madison went to France with, with you know, Jefferson telling him you can, you can spend up to $10 million dollars but, but James Madison does, does like what, what my wife does. I say, hey, you can go spend, you know, this amount of dollars. But, but he went a little bit beyond. But if Heather goes a little bit beyond what, what we budgeted, if she gets a really good deal, I'm okay with it. So James Madison, uh, man, he understood authority. He went to, to France, and he, he not only got the port of New Orleans, he got all of Louisiana, 
He got all of Missouri, Iowa, Minnesota, Oklahoma, Kansas, North and South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and even half of Colorado. This half of Colorado, Colorado Springs, he got for the U.S. from France. He got about a third of the United States with $15 million. He stretched the budget. I'm very sorry, TJ, Thomas Jefferson. But I think you're going to be happy with what I did as an ambassador. You know, we are ambassadors for Christ. Don't be afraid to go take a little extra territory. Some of you are just, are just praying and just believing just for the right to exist, just the, just the, just the rights to, to use this port to just to function here on this world. But God's saying, you are an ambassador. You have authority. You have, you have an inheritance. Go and spend it. Go and use it. The same power that I had, the same things that I did, you can do and greater things. That's a license to go beyond what you might think possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some, some people were really offended that, that Lizzo played. She actually got to play on this flute that was owned by James Madison. It was actually a, a, a French flute maker. When James Madison became president, sent this crystal flute to James Madison as a gift and James Madison kept it. He never wrote a thank you to this person. And the, the flute maker in France actually wrote a letter a couple of years later saying, hey, I hope you got the flute and you like it. And so we know like, it's an important thing to James Madison because in 1814, while James Madison was president, the British attacked Washington, D.C. And they, they burned down the White House. And James Madison wasn't there, but his wife, Dolly, was there. And she saved two things. Two things from the White She saved a portrait of George Washington. And she also saved this crystal flute. And it has never been played on since then until Lizzo got to bebop and twerk around with it and, and offend all these, you know, historical flute people. But I actually thought it was really cool. And uh, maybe someday I'll be able to play on this flute. And um, it's kind of funny because even, even like, uh, it, it became like a big, big political thing because um, Candace Owens got a hold of it and, and made a big thing out of it because, uh, you know, Lizzo is pretty um, woke and oppressed and represents oppressed people. But... But Ken Stone's like, wow, it looks like you're really oppressed. You get to play on this ancient flute that, you know, is worth millions of dollars. <laughs> but I'm happy for, I'm happy for, I, I love to see old dusty flutes get played on even, you know, $1,800, 1800s flutes. I, I play on them myself. So I, I'm actually excited about it. Um, to me, that's a picture of grace as well. Maybe someone who doesn't deserve to play on this flute from the light got to play on it. Intellectual professor type people can get very self-righteous as well. <laughs> but I'm happy that, that God's grace was demonstrated even to Lizzo. And I pray for Lizzo. That she'll get even better gifts than even the gifts of playing on James Madison's crystal flute. There are more priceless gifts that, that are available to, to all those who believe. Amen. So we are ambassadors for Christ, verse 20, 2 Corinthians 5, 20, as though God were pleading on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteous of you. That, that, is, that, that, that is the exchange right there. Jesus Christ, the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, the only begotten Son of God, who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God in Christ. That's why every believer needs to understand that grace transforms you. We are no longer sinners. We are now saints. We are no longer poor. We are 
prosperous. We are no longer cursed. We are blessed. We are no, no longer orphaned. We are sons and daughters. We are no longer weak and beggarly. We are strong. We can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens us. That is who I, I, I am. I'm not going to confess who I was or who other people say I might be or how I feel because grace has transformed me. It is transforming me and it will continue to transform me. Grace transforms you and I'm so excited that grace transforms you because I know it's a real thing because grace empowers you. And one of the greatest ways that God empowers you is with the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Man, Peter, if you look at who Peter was before Jesus, before the Holy Ghost, man, before the Holy Ghost, he was a complete wimp, a complete coward, a complete chicken. Yeah, Matthew 26, verse 33 and 35. I'll, I'll be done in just a few minutes. I just want to talk about the, just the empowering side of grace. Matthew 26, 33 through 35. Peter answered Jesus and said unto him, though all men shall be offended because of thee, Yet will I never be offended. I hear a lot of people say that at church. And then not too long after, I hear a chicken crow. And they're gone because they got offended over some little piddly thing that doesn't matter. Someday I'm going to write a book on all the little things that people got offended of at Harris Christian Center. Maybe not. It wouldn't be a pretty book. Little things. I can tell you that this church, my dad's message has not changed in the 33 years he's been preaching, 35 years he's been, like he has been preaching the same gospel, the same message, the power of God, the grace of Jesus. <laughs> Things on the surface change from time to time, but the message has always stayed the same. God has always been here. His power has always been here. Peter, after the Holy Ghost, man, he said, I'll never offend thee. I'll not deny thee. He said, well, before the cock crows, I think Jesus picked a cock because he knew that Peter was just a big old chicken. Before the Holy Ghost, you all taste like chicken. The Holy Ghost will, will put some red meat on you. You're not going to be a chicken anymore. After the Holy Ghost, if Peter denied Jesus three times on one of the most important nights where Jesus could really use some support. Peter probably felt really bad about it. Probably felt really guilty, very ashamed, very unworthy. Man, the Holy Ghost. Man, the Holy Ghost will just light up grace in your life. Light up what God wants to do in your life. The Holy Ghost came, and people were clapping and jumping and running and shouting, and all these Baptists there were. They're all drunk. I've never read about this in Holy Scripture. And Peter got up and said, these are not drunk as you suppose. And he preached one of the greatest messages ever preached in the church. He preached the word of God. He preached from Joel chapter 2. He preached Jesus, that he was attested by God. He preached about miracles, about signs, about wonders, that God backed up the word of Jesus Christ. He preached that Jesus was crucified, that he was raised from the dead, that he was ascended into heaven. He's exalted as Lord. He is the Christ. Peter preached about repentance. Yes. 
He preached about the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.39. This promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Jesus is the embodiment of God's abundant grace. Say abundant grace. He is here right now seeking to free people seeking to transform people and seeking to empower people with the gift of his Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to the Caris Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.charischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.